Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We exist to become witnesses to God's new creation so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus. We believe that as a family of servant missionaries, we are empowered to participate in God's story because of the good news that King Jesus is making all things new. Chapter 11. And as you're turning there, I want to start our time together by asking you this question. What do people say, okay, not necessarily you, okay, don't get defensive yet. What do people say the most important aspect of Jesus's ministry was? If we were to narrow it down to say, what was, why did Jesus come? What would be the answer? I think a lot of people would say he came to set an example. And so we need to be like Jesus and follow his example. You ever heard that before? He came to die on the cross for my sins so we can go to heaven. Have you heard that before? Are those true? Yes, sort of, yeah. Okay, they're true. But what did Jesus, I mean, it's interesting, Jesus never said the Romans road aspect. He never said, I came, if, you know, walk through like you're sinners, you're on your way to hell, if you trust me, I'll take you to heaven forever. Like, he never said that. Even though the apostles picked up on that and put pieces together and we put those together and those are true statements. But what is the most central, integral part of Jesus's life and ministry? It is something that he talks about over and over and over again. And the central thing that Jesus talks about is, church, anyone know? The kingdom of God. Jesus and the kingdom of God actually are integral to the story of Matthew. That if we don't understand the kingdom, you're not going to understand Matthew. You're not going to understand what Christianity is all about. Sure, Jesus wants to be with you, but the kingdom is all about him coming, and he has to actually demonstrate his power and his authority and actually usher in this kingdom that he's talking about. So a few years ago, we started a sermon series called The Good News Kingdom. We've been walking our way through the book of Matthew, and what we've been doing is going through a section, then taking a break, doing some side topics, coming back. And on the screen, I have like just a recap of like the first 10 chapters of the book of Matthew. I think it's coming up. Yeah, there we go. You know, like, and Matthew's just get us back in the picture. Matthew chapters 1 through 4 was the birth and the early ministry of Jesus. In Matthew 5 through 7, we saw Jesus was mighty in word as we took seven years to go through the Sermon on the Mounts. We saw that in chapters 8 and 9, Jesus is mighty indeed, where there were nine quick successive stories of Jesus healing and doing miracles. Then we saw in chapter 10, the mission narrative, when Jesus sent his disciples out into on mission and what that was going to actually look like. And now we come into this next section that we're going to spend the next several months coming to, is in Matthew chapters 11 through 13, is the beginning of the opposition and the revelation of the kingdom of God. 
Up to this point, everything has been nice. Everything has been clean. Everything's been fun. Jesus is born. Everyone comes and worships him. He gives us this mighty, awesome sermon that we get to look at and evaluate. And he's healing everybody. And everyone's coming. And it's just this big yay, yay, yay feast. Okay, but there comes a turning point where all of a sudden things are going to actually turn upside down and people are going to eventually start yelling, crucify him. And we are beginning to enter into this transition in Matthew where now not everyone is going to be like, yay, yay, yay. They're going to be like, no, no, no. And they're going to begin to oppose Jesus and what Jesus came to do. And Jesus begins this episode, this section, with an important story about his cousin, John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 15, say this. After Jesus had finished instructing his disciples, he went on from there to teach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come? Let me just repeat that. John the Baptist, remember he's a really important guy? He's in prison and he asks a question. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor, and blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Don't you just want Jesus to say yes or no sometimes? Yes, right? Verse 7, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the winds? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those, fine, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, and I tell you more than a prophet. This is the one to whom about it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. And truly I tell you, among those born of women, there's not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And... If you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Father, give us ears to hear this morning. Give us hearts to love and delight in you. Give us minds to think and understand your your kingdom and your, your authority and your power. So, Spirit, we need you to do this work. So we invite you, not into this room, you're here. We, we, we want you to work in our midst, in our hearts, in our minds, in our bodies. To be convinced of the kingdom of God and its reality even more this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Two things I want to share with you this morning. Number one, the kingdom of God is dawned. 
The kingdom of God has dawns. And Jesus answers a very legitimate question that John has. But John the Baptist, and I'm just going to call him John from now on, okay? John, well, who knows? I'm going to try to call him John. John is now in prison. We, we read in the Gospel of Mark that Herod had married his brother's wife, and John the Baptist said, you can't do that, you shouldn't be doing that, and Herod didn't like that. And so, you know who else didn't like that? It was Herod's wife. And so she got very mad at John the Baptist for him like slandering and accusing and saying that they were wrong and evil and she got jealous and angry. And so one day, if you remember the story in Mark chapter 6, uh, Herod's daughter had a birthday party and came out and was dancing and everyone was you know, having a great time. And for the dance that she gave to all the people who were at the party, uh, Herod said, I'll give you whatever you want. So the daughter went out to her mom and said, hey, King Herod said, I can have whatever I want. What should I have? And the answer was John the Baptist's head on a plate. So Herod had to fulfill that wish. Well, didn't have to, but decided to fulfill that wish and had John the Baptist beheaded. But he is in prison at this moment, probably knowing his life is coming to an end. And while he's in prison, he has this profound moment where he says this, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? This is powerful. This is John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, the one in Matthew chapter 3 who prepared the way, who is the one proclaiming everyone that the kingdom of God is here, the Messiah is here. He baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. And now he's asking the question, are you the Messiah? So there's lots of reasons why people have come up with why John the Baptist would answer this question. Some view it positively in the sense that the early church fathers took a view that John was not asking for himself, he was asking for the sake of his followers. Like he knew, John the Baptist they say he knew that Jesus was the one, but he had his disciples go and ask for the sake of his followers. So John's not really doubting. He's just doing it for the sake of others. Or another view is that Jesus, John wanted Jesus to just make a public declaration that I am the Messiah. So again, there's two views that John is not really doubting. He's just pretending to doubt and using this as an opportunity to even more proclaim the Messiahship of Jesus. Uh, I actually take the view that it is kind of a negative thing. That, you know, some people say he was just discouraged in prison and needed reassurance. And I'm like, okay, maybe he was having a bad day. But I think it was more than having a bad day. I think John, when he came to the end of his life, was like, is my life, what I've done, really worth it? Any of you come to a midlife crisis yet? I felt like I went through one at 45 and my whole life was like, what am I doing with my life? That's probably every day. But I mean, like, is my life really counting for something? Is it really happening? And see, John, if you go back to Matthew chapter 3, was in, in proclaiming this Messiah who is going to come is going to be bringing judgment and bringing the kingdom of God. And all he sees is Jesus healing people and, and rescuing people and raising people from the dead and healing lepers. But he understood that this Messiah was going to come with a winnowing fork. He was going to come in judgments 
And none of this has happened. And he, so he's coming to the end of his life, and he's like saying, oh my goodness, is this really the Messiah? And Jesus responds in typical Jesus talk. Jesus responds with a statement that says this. Do the blind receive sight? Do the lame walk? Those who have leprosy are cleansed? Do the deaf hear? Are the dead raised? Is the good news being proclaimed to the poor? Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Now, church, what is Jesus' answer? Is he the one? Yes. But how does he get there? He goes to the Old Testament. And I have on the screen for you three passages that just depict from the Old Testament what Jesus is actually going after. In Isaiah chapter 29, verse 18, it says, In that day the deaf will hear the words of the scroll, and out of gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind will see. Isaiah 35, Then the eyes of the the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame will leap like a deer, the mute tongue will shout for joy. Isaiah chapter 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. What is Jesus saying? He's going back to the Old Testament. And the book of Isaiah is depicting in these passages a day in the future when salvation is going to come to Israel. He's depicting a time when God is going to come and visit them and redeem them and save them. And so what John Baptist's question is, is are you the one? And Jesus says, yes, I am the one. You know why? Because the Old Testament prophet Isaiah has already proclaimed and prophesied and predicted that when these things happen, God will be coming to visit his people. And so do you see me raising people from the dead? Do you see me healing lepers? It's interesting that every one of these things that he mentioned in Isaiah, sorry, in um, John chapter, I cannot talk this morning, Matthew chapter 11, happened in Matthew's chapters 8 and 9. The healing of the blind. There's two blind men in Matthew 9, 27 that Jesus heals. We looked at all these stories. Jesus heals a lame man. He heals a leper in chapter 8. He heals the deaf. He raises a young daughter back to life. Like everything that he's mentioned goes back to Matthew chapters 8 and 9. And everything that happened in 8 and 9 is the demonstration that the kingdom is here. So Jesus says, yes, I am the one. I am the one who's ushering in the kingdom of salvation for God's people. But again, I ask you, do you ever feel like John? Do you ever have doubts that Jesus is who he says he really is? I can remember, this was probably about six years ago. Actually, a little bit before six, probably about seven years ago. Um, my first wife was still here, and, and I remember being in my closet. This is a very strange story, okay? I'm in my closet, and I have this, like, deep, dark, despair moment. Like, I thought to myself, what in the world am I doing? I'm, like, retelling myself the story of God, and it sounds like a Disney movie. It sounds like someone just made up this crazy, random story 
about a God who came and visited his people and rescued everyone and killed all the bad guys and saves the good guys and we all live happily ever after. And I thought to myself, I am, what is going on? This was like, began a two to three day like dark, deep despair where I just began to be like John the Baptist. This cannot, are you really, is this really happening? Is this what I'm giving my life to? And I don't know if you've ever been in that moment. And it took me several, like I said, several days to come out of this funk. And there's even moments, I don't remember like deep, dark moments like that since then. But there are times when I think to myself, Jesus, if you're really true, then why is life going like this? You ever been there? And I want to encourage us this morning that Rather than running from those doubts and feeling bad about those doubts, run into those doubts. Charge into those doubts. And what I mean by that is like, read the Bible, be with God's people, pray through and in the midst of that doubt. Don't ignore it. Don't run from it. Don't feel like you're a bad person, because you know what you are if you doubt that sometimes? I'm just going to say this. You ready? You're human. You're human. To actually question at times, is the kingdom of God real? Is it tangible? Is everything I'm giving my life for worth it? If I'm going to be beheaded tomorrow, I want to know if Jesus, you are who you say you are. And Jesus emphatically doesn't just say yes. You know why? Because we just want a yes. We want the yes or no. But what Jesus does is he makes you stop and think. Am I really healing people? Where did that come from? Where do I have the power to do that from? Why did the Old Testament prophesy all these things would happen? And here I am fulfilling all of these things. He's like actually adding assurance to John's question and his doubt rather than what we want is just the quick answer. And this is where I'm saying run into the doubt. Run into the story of God. Run into, yes, does this make sense? So when you feel like John, know you're human. But don't run from it. Run into it. And this has been my own experience, and it's been my experience with people that I've passed through over the last 18, 19 years, is that genuine Christians, in the midst of this doubt, when they push into it, God actually shows up. And he shows up in a powerful way that when you actually come out the other side of this doubt, you are actually stronger. Your faith is more nurtured. It is more convinced for having gone through the doubt. So, please, if you're in a place of doubt, press in. Keep going. Don't run from it. Because Jesus will show up. He will show up. So number one, we see that John asks a very important question. And in that question, Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is here. But in the second section here, not only is the kingdom of God here, but now that the kingdom of God is actually here, the kingdom is at war. 
There is a war going on. It's not just a kingdom showed up and everything's great. No, a kingdom showed up that is actually advancing and going against another kingdom, and there is a war going on, and Jesus makes a very powerful declaration about John. The first thing he says about John that's a powerful declaration is that he is Elijah. Okay? What do you mean John is Elijah? Well, Jesus in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 7 says, he spoke to the crowd and says, what did you do? Why did you go out into the wilderness? And Jesus gives three reasons. The first two are rhetorical, no. Did you go out in the wilderness to see John because he's a reed swayed by the winds? Like, did you go out there to see someone who's not very strong and he's weak and he's just going to be blown over? No. You didn't go out to see a reed swayed by the wind. So why did you go out? Did you see a man, fine, uh, man dressed in fine clothes? No. Why didn't you? Because where do fine clothes people live? Not in the wilderness. In fact, John had a very weird... He didn't shop at L.L. Bean. Okay? He, he shopped with camels at the camel store. All right? He wore camel clothes. Like, this is not what you went out to see. So what did you go out to see? And Jesus finally gives the real answer, a prophet. And Jesus says this about John the Baptist. He is a prophet, but he's not just a prophet. He is the prophet of all prophets. He is the one who God promised to send ahead of the Messiah. And so in verse 10, he quotes Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3 says this, I will send my messenger ahead of you and will prepare your way before you. Actually, I, I just lied to you. I, can, I have on the screen Malachi chapter 3. And what I wanted to do is show you the slight difference. In Malachi chapter 3, let me read this. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. So stop right there. Right now, what we have seen is God is saying, someone is going to come and prepare the way before me. Who's speaking? God. Someone is coming to prepare the way before God comes. But when this person comes to prepare the way for God, when God shows up, he then goes on to say this, when that day comes, who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? Because he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. See, when this person comes, God comes, he is going to come as a refiner. He's going to come in judgment. He's going to come and make right what has been wrong. And I'm not going to go into the whole book of Malachi, but the book of Malachi is an indictment against the Levites for not teaching the people of God the law. And so he's saying, one day, my Messiah is going to come, but it's going to be great, it's going to be awesome, it's going to be amazing, but beware that when he comes, he's coming with a refining fire. He's coming to actually bring judgments. And so what Jesus is doing here when he quotes this passage is, number one, he's making an indirect hint at his claim to being Yahweh. 
If you notice in Malachi chapter 3 right here up on the screen, it says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 10, Jesus changes it. It says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I'm not, you might have to do this in your Bible, but the very last phrase, prepare the way before me in Malachi, and prepare the way before you, Jesus is equating the you and the me. He's equating that he is the God who is coming to visit his people to be in his temple. And so Jesus is making an indirect hint at his authority of being Yahweh. But not only is he claiming to be Yahweh, he's claiming that when he comes, he is going to bring judgments. In fact, when he comes, he's going to be Elijah. And he says a little verses later that if you can believe it, he's actually going to be Elijah. What does that mean? In Malachi chapter 4, Jesus is reiterating this phrase. It's on the screen. It says in Malachi 4, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. What Jesus is saying is this Elijah that was promised to come in the Old Testament who is going to come and usher in the day of the Lord, this is John. And so beware that when he comes, the day of God's vengeance, the day of God's judgment is coming. So Jesus, just wrapping all this up, makes a very profound statement about the identity of John as one who is coming to prepare the way for the judgments against God's enemies and the salvation of God's people. But there's more about John. And this is very encouraging. Jesus says this about John, number two, that he's the greatest and he's the least. Among those born of women, there's no one risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. I mean, how would you like to be that, have that title about you? Jesus says, you're the greatest person who's ever lived. You have to understand in the story of Israel that, you know, as you go through the Old Testament, there's always prophets. Like Moses was a prophet. And as you move through the story, you have like Eli, and I'm not going to read all these prophets, but then we have like 17 books in the Old Testament that are all named after prophets. There's always prophets in God's story until the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of Matthew. There's 400 years. We call these the silent years. We call them silent because there was no prophets. God did not have a prophet among his people for 400 years until John the Baptist showed up. And he showed up for the significant and very powerful purpose to prepare the way for the Messiah to come. And Jesus says, this is the greatest role any human could have, is to actually usher in the Messiah. Among women, there's no one risen greater than John the Baptist. But then catch this. Whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. think about that. If you belong to God's kingdom, you are greater than the greatest man who ever lived. Apart from Jesus, okay, I'm not a heretic, all right, just calm down. But you are great. You are valued. Belonging to the kingdom of God is the greatest privilege 
that we could actually ever have. And you are greater than John. When you belong to the kingdom, the kingdom that Jesus is actually bringing, think of your position of belonging and being in Christ this morning, that you are great. Not in a self-esteem way, not in a self-aggrandizement way, not in a self-improvement way, but from a God perspective, He looks at you and says, you're great in the kingdom of God. Because everyone who's in the kingdom is great. You're loved, you're cherished, you have value because you belong to something that is real and true and that will last forever. You are great. There's my Joel Osteen speech for the morning. Did I say that? We, We need to edit that out but great because of Christ and valued because you belong to the kingdom that he is ushering in. And John the Baptist came as Elijah to bring this day to us. And you are valued as you belong to this kingdom, but know this, this kingdom is going to have opposition. So that Jesus says in verse 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. Part of me like wants to get a whiteboard out and start doing some Greek with you. This is a very difficult verse to interpret. Um, if you have a Bible with like a little footnote, if you have like, well, I should say if you have your phone and there's like a little A at the end there, you can click that and it will come up at the bottom. There'll be another alternative that says this, that instead of the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, it says the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. I don't know if your Bibles have that or not, but a lot of them have that little footnote right there. The question is, and it's up on the screen there for you, is the kingdom of heaven, in a sense of being passive and being acted upon, is violence being done to the kingdom? Or is the kingdom more of like an active idea that the kingdom has been actively, actively and forcefully advancing? Okay, do you understand those two differences? Is one, not to go all grammar on you, but is one being acted upon or is the kingdom of God doing the acting? Then you come to the second phrase and there's actually like a verb and a noun that are the same word. There's like a verb and a noun. Um, I wish I would... Is there one like that in English? Is that how English even works? Either way, it's the same word, but one's a noun... One's a verb, and it's to do violence. And then there's the word violent men. So the second phrase says, and violent people have been raiding it. Or another way you could translate that is, and evil men have been opposing it. Violent men have been opposing it. So if you really want to do all the work and argue with me later, I would love to do that. I'm just going to give you what I think, okay, and then make a point about it. I actually think the better way to interpret it is actually the way that I have it in parentheses. Jesus has been talking about the kingdom of God coming, that it's here, that he spent 40 days in the wilderness forcefully advancing his kingdom over the kingdom of Satan. 
He has been forcefully advancing his kingdom by casting out demons, by healing lepers, by raising people from the dead. All the powers of that old kingdom, Jesus has come and demonstrated his superiority and power over. And it's been a forceful, powerful display. It's not a quiet thing. Everyone is hearing about the kingdom of God because man, this man has shown up and doing things that normal people don't do. And Jesus just didn't go around and be like, oh, I want to heal you just to show you that I'm great. I don't want to heal you. I want to heal you because that way people will think I'm divine and deity. No, he did all those healings to demonstrate that the kingdom of God is present. And so I personally think the better context is to understand that Jesus is saying the kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing, and he is doing the advancing. Jesus is advancing his kingdom over the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of light has dawned, and the kingdom of Satan is coming to an end. And at the same time, there are evil people who are going to be opposing the kingdom of God. As I open up our sermon this morning, that everything up to Matthew chapter 11 has been yay, yay, yay. But Jesus now is going to start introducing the idea that if you belong to this kingdom, there is going to be opposition, there's going to be suffering, there's going to be trials, there's going to be people who are actually going to kill you. This is not like, oh, life is great, it's easy, it's fun. No, it is worth it. But knowing that the kingdom of God has violent people working against it. And so you're at war. And I think, Christians, we forget that we're at war. Well, I shouldn't say that. We know we're at war. We're just at war with the wrong people. Like just this week, like I've read 15, I don't know if you heard about this revival thing going on in Kentucky with Asbury um, College. And I just read all over the map, people like saying it's false, it's fake, it's not real, and then fighting the people who are like crazy saying it's real. I'm like, all of a sudden, we're just fighting over whether or not the Spirit of God is moving. I'm like, I don't think this is where we're fighting. We should be fighting. Okay? And not to be mean, but all of you Fox News people are fighting the CNN people. And all you CNN people are fighting the Fox News people about which way direction America should go. And should you care about that? Yes. But do you understand, like, these are just ploys of the evil one to get us to be fighting the wrong things? Can we not be brothers and sisters and fight the real war against the real enemy? I was in a, a difficult situation these last few weeks, and, and I just told, I told Jen, told my wife this, and this, I said, I refuse to let Satan win. Like, I'm not going to, it doesn't mean everything has to work out perfectly, but I'm, we're going to do this right. We're not letting Satan win. And not that I have the power in a sense, but I'm praying that through the power of Jesus and the Spirit, we are at war. And he wants to bring division. He wants to bring disunity. He wants to get you to focus on things that are not ultimate. And Jesus is making a case here at the beginning of the opposition and the revelation of the kingdom of God that it is forcefully coming. It is powerful. But at the same time, it is a kingdom that is at war. 
And are you fighting the right war? Are you understanding that the opposition is real? And that he's getting us to get our eyes off of the kingdom of God and onto our own kingdoms. But church, you don't have to say it this way. Don't let Satan win. Seek unity. Seek reconciliation. Seek justice. Seek friendships. Seek love. It's like Paul says in Corinthians, don't be unaware or ignorant of his schemes. Like he is scheming. And this kingdom that we belong to is powerful and it can actually advance and move over and destroy that hate, that unforgiveness, those wrong things we focus on because there is a powerful kingdom that's advancing. And Jesus is saying, this is the kingdom to be part of. It's not going to be all fun and games, but it's worth it because it's real. It's true. Church, in your doubt, run to the king because his kingdom is advancing. And one day it will be here in full. And your reward will be great. Jesus, thank you that your kingdom is here. It's real. And we just pray that the Spirit, that you will convince us once again of your power and your greatness and your kingdom authority. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. To learn more about our kingdom ministry located in Chesapeake, Virginia, visit weareredemption.org.